Hi there, folks, and welcome. Welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam, again. And this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. So you just show up, click a button that says study now, and the platform will then show you exactly what you need to learn next based on your progression. Now, this may sound simple and in practice it is, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And what they're also unique in is that they teach all of the types of Japanese that you wouldn't normally get in traditional schools or textbooks. And if you've ever studied with one of the more common textbooks that foreigners usually pick up, you've probably noticed that there are a lot of sentences or conversations in there. That you'd never really hear in real life, and vice versa. Some of the stuff you actually hear when you're out and about in Japan is never really covered in these traditional textbooks. So, this isn't the case with Native Shark. It's very well grounded in everyday spoken Japanese, whether it's casual or formal language. And you can really expect, like one of the students writes in their reviews, you can really expect to be picking up the sort of little nuances that no one would expect a non native speaker to use. And that's pretty rare for most Japanese courses. So, yeah, really, really useful platform. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. That's native without an E, so N A T I V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash NTI. Use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So, two weeks free instead of the one. And you can sign up for that free trial without having to put any、uh, credit card or anything of the sort in there. So give it a go, you won't regret it. Okay, so for today's episode, we're back to our Wednesday Clubhouse panel, which, by the way, is now also being streamed elsewhere for the convenience for, of those among you who don't have a Clubhouse membership or just prefer to tune in via other platforms or from your PC, which is not available for Clubhouse and so forth. So we're also streaming it on Facebook Live from this week onward. We've done our first one this week. And we'll link to、uh, that stream in this episode's show notes so you can sign up and get a notification if you're on Facebook. And I'll probably experiment with YouTube streaming as well in coming weeks. So, this particular conversation is regarding Minpaku or short term stay operations. We've got both Tracy Northcott on our Clubhouse panel, who's a short term stay operator, as well as Emil Gorgis, who's a Tokyo Realtor and also has a few of these Airbnb type properties that he runs. And they answer questions not from the audience this time, but actually from yours truly. So the recording isn't of best quality. My apologies for that. I was fiddling a bit too much with my PC, answering emails and so forth while they were talking. So I've learned my lesson since then, but it's clear enough and it's packed full of really nitty gritty practical information for anyone who's interested in short term rentals in Japan. So enjoy. I hope you find value in it, and I'll see you again on the other side. If someone is Looking to enter the short term stay market, and they, they are well aware that tourists are a bit of an issue at the moment, but hopefully that's going to pick up towards next year again.、Um, what would you advise them to purchase as far as short term rentals are considered、um, in Tokyo? What would be better? Would it be a condo? Would it be an old house? Would it be a, in the heart of the city, on the suburbs? What are popular properties、um, for if and when tourists are present here?、Um, if money was no object, Um, buy a building <laughs> that has,、um, that I would say, three to four,、uh, 
three to four cot, like three to four mansions, or three to four, um, two or three bedroom units. So not the one case, not the um, you know, not the the studios, um, but a building that, say Nippori, for example, or something that has or something close to Shinjuku, something close to Shibuya, uh, something close to Ueno, something that is close to a hub. Um, that has great um, airport access, I would say as well, yeah, I do love the um, the idea of actually me managing a building with three to four or six or ten, um, two to three bedroom apartments um, and have the whole building dedicated. Um, it, would, it would also have to be in the right zone. So the first thing to do is check the address and check the, um, the regulations. Um, something that can get a hotel license, um, there are certain parts of the city, and I'm thinking around Ikebukuro is one, where you can get, um, where it's easier to get a hotel license on various zonings. So it, you have to check the address for the zoning, um, whether, whether or not you can do short-term rentals, um, and also whether or not, um, what, what are the regulations. So there are, there are places in Minato-ku, Minato-ku I would advise against because they must be extremely bored down there, I'm not sure, but um, I know people with licences in Minato-ku and there is someone who comes once a month to check, to make sure that the right signage is up and, and just really nitpicky and and um, and they're just bored and looking like, you know, looking for something to do. Um, and uh, it's just tiresome, basically. Uh, when, especially in Minatoku, you're only you're only supposed to be doing it for ninety days of the year, anyway. Um, and that really doesn't make it profitable. So look for a place where you can get a hotel license. Um, uh, number one, um, uh, either a single family home or a condo where you have permission from the Kumiai, from the, the Homeowners Association, um, because you need that. Um, the reason I like a big building is that for the fire regulations and short-term rental, you need to have a certificate by a registered um, fire, I can't think of the English, but a, a registered company that will put in things like exit lighting that is connected to the mains um, and there's a few you know there's a few quirky quirky fire regulations they're not that hard you just have to you know maybe budget in or you know around a million yen um, just to have that all done and dusted to get your license and also to get all of the regulations in place um, but if you're only able to run that 90 days of the year it's really not worth you know that squeeze is not worth the juice so um, zoning first um, building type second um, and uh, size uh, third, um, and I like to go with single family homes because because there's no real homeowners association. You haven't got you're not going to bother any neighbours, um, and uh, and also I think that the larger places you get more return on investment than a single uh, than a single unit. Um, you still have to spend the same amount of time and energy on, on, on each booking, but when you've got a booking for two people paying bottom bargain basement rates or you, you're looking at a group of a family of five um, or an extended family group, two families travelling together, that's when you're really making good 
uh, ADR, which is like average daily rate, um, and that's really where you're making making all the money. It's the same amount of effort whether there's ten people, whether there's two. So, and you're going to make much more money uh, at that at that high rate. So, a long answer to a very short question. <laughs> so, I hope that was useful. That was. I want to give a, a quick um, addition to that, um, with, in terms of the building. So, a uh, single-family home, so basically a, a standalone house, is what you know, she, uh, Tracy's referring to. Often in Tokyo, um, or in Japan, they're two-story and three-story homes. Okay, one of the requirements for a three to get a hotel license or the minpaku license for a three-story home is that it is a fireproof home. Okay, there's um, it's called taita kenchikubutsu. Now the problem is. That generally has to be concrete. So if it's a wooden structure that's a three-story home, it's probably unlikely that you can use the third story. They probably don't want to give the whole two-story, uh, just the lower two-story, the hotel license, um, and say you're not going to use the top, the top, top floors. But technically, uh, it's hard to get the license. And if they do, they don't want you to use the third floor for uh, as a hotel or for booking. If it's not a fire-proof um, house, a Taika Kenshikibutsu. Now, the thing is, most homes, um, like in Tokyo, that are built within fire regulation, are considered Jun Taika, like a, a, a second-grade fire resistant, not first-grade fire resistant. Um, so, but if the house is only two stories, then you generally don't need uh, to to meet that requirement. So, in addition, it should be a two-story house, not a three-story house. Um, in, is that correct with your understanding as well, Tracy? Yeah, there is, but there has been an addendum to that law, and that came in, I think, at around 2019, um, where three-storey properties, you could get licensed, but you did have to put in, the, on the internal stairs, um, a, a door. And you could get all three, because I've actually got a license on a three-storey house in Shinjuku. Um, it's a 180-day license. Um, and that's a new build, um, and uh, and because it was a new build, I was able to make sure that it had all the all the little fire things in there. I did have to get exit lighting that was at the twenty, uh, you know, exit lighting that was attached to the mains um, as a retrofit. But that wasn't that was only uh, you know two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand yen. It wasn't that expensive. Um, but for the third for in, in other coups, um, the three-storey houses are possible, but you do need to have um, an extra door. And most, and you know, it's kind of hard with the way that Japanese architecture is done to, to be able to um, put a door at the top and bottom of each stairwell. Um, but that's a way of around it, um, around that law as well, and that's uh, and that's able to be done. Otherwise, you do have to block off that third floor, um, and that really doesn't make it financially viable as well. So, two-story two two family homes are fantastic, um, and you can get three-story three-story in certain situations. So, yeah, it's there's nothing very clear. Um, you do have to do it on a case by case basis. That's that's really that's really interesting, Tracy. 
So just a, a couple of questions that I had there that you um, you mentioned in passing, but um, I, I was actually not clear on. So when you apply for a hotel license, I thought that that actually means you can operate the entire year, but you're saying you've got a hotel license and you're only allowed to operate it half the year? No, no. For hotel, so hotel license, I've got one of those. It's a 365. Um, and the beautiful thing about having a hotel license is that you do not have to do the reporting which reminds me, it's the nearly the 15th of April and I need to do the report <laughs> for my MinFaca licenses. Um, but with a hotel license, you do not need to do your monthly report um, or bi-monthly report to um, uh, to the Kuyaksha. You still have to keep records of um, people's passports, IDs. You need to keep a record of where they've come from, where they're going to, um, because that's in the trace and tracking, which has been in... Which has been part of the law for 50 years, so it's not it's not anything new with uh, with COVID. It's always tracing and tracking has always been in 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 the Minpaku laws and the hotel laws. So um, hotel license 365 days, but you still need to keep a good register. Um, Minpaku rules: uh, the standard rate is 180 days as the starting point, and then it goes down from there based on the individual coup. Uh, and the, the individual hokenja or the way they've applied it. So, for example, like I said, in Minato-ku, it can be down as low as, as uh, 90 days. Um, in some places, it's weekends only. In other places, it's uh, especially around school zones. Um, it is probably school holidays only. Um, and uh, so, you know, you, you won't get anything more on a minpaku license than 180 days if it, it just goes down from there. Um, obviously, there are some Mimpaku associations, some grassroots associations that are spending a lot of time lobbying government uh, to, to have that rule changed. Um, so I've been giving them a little bit of a hand with that because obviously that benefits me. Um, and uh, um, I'll let you know how that's going. <laughs> but um, at the moment, it's uh, Mimpaku is 180 days um, and you do have to report every two months on who stayed, what country they're from, and how many days they stayed. Uh, and those figures are actually confirmed by the online travel agencies, the OTAs, the Airbnbs, Booking.com. Um, I believe, I haven't got proof of this, but I do believe that they're sharing the booking data with the ward officers based on your licence number, and they will cross-check to make sure that you're not overbooking more than your regulation, more than the area. So okay, um, and then you're yeah, saying then you're saying you've run across places like Minatoku where the local ward office has a bit too much time on their hands, yeah. and they actually come over and inspect you on a regular basis, right? Yeah, they do, and they um, and they want to make sure that you're not, um, you know, that you're not squeezing people in, and that you're not that uh, you uh, that you haven't made changes to the. Uh, to the, the structure of the property um, after you get your license. Um, they're also asking that you, you know, there are some people that they want to put up wanted posters in the in the lobby um, of your property, um, you know, the, like the ones that are in the police station. That's really um, attractive to guests, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh you know, we're looking for bad guys. Um, <laughs> I get a call from the police every couple of months. I get a call from the police Um as because I'm also a registered um, Mimpaku Kandi, 
uh, which is a, a management company. So um, I get a call from my friendly policeman saying, hello, is everything okay? Have you had any, like, suspicious dudes come and stay? Um, and please make sure that you tell your guests that, you know, no drones can be operated within the Tokyo metropolitan area. There are massive fights. So there are certain rules, and they said, you know, with the Olympics coming up or, if you know, before when there was G8 summits or G20 summits in, in town, they would call and say, by the way, we are on the lookout for, for strange people, you know, don't let anyone stay without an ID and, and just remind us like that. Um, and I'm very, you know, they're just doing, the, these police guys, you know, they, local plod, they're just doing their job. So I'm always friendly and, and uh, cooperative um, with them. So that's what, I, that's what I try to do. And with, with the local co-inspectors, is there any directory online or somewhere else where you can actually tell uh, which of the areas have more of that happening and which of them have less? Because I'm thinking having somebody come in every few days and, and bother the guests by looking around is also not a really good look, is it? Yeah. Well, um, so the who has a license, who has a hotel license and who has a Minpaku license is actually public information. That's available from um, from a from a database on the ward office where anyone can go search and it gives you the, the name and the address um, of the property. Um, and so I've had people knock on the door, try to sell us things. Oh, you're in, especially when we got the new, when we got the hotel license at first, um, some plucky salesman knocked on the door and was trying to sell us some nonsense. Um, uh, so there are people out there using that public information to, um, uh, you know, to find, I think that's actually a good way as well. This is, this is my tip. This is my free tip for the day. Um, if you are looking at either renting or buying a condo is to go onto those websites and find the addresses where there are already licenses in the building, which means that the kumiai is um, a friendly kumiai, uh, that they are willing to sign the documentation and they, that also people are used to, um, you know, they're used to the, 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 the short-term guests coming in and out. So there, that's a way to target, um, if you're looking at doing a rental arbitrage situation, um, is to target buildings that are going to be more likely to be friendly to you running a short-term rental out of their property because they've already got some in there. Um, so that's that's my that's my little tip. Um, you know, if I'm going to be, because I'm going to be looking at ramping up again soon, um, that that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be looking for buildings that are likely to be friendly. Um, and um, uh, But in terms of people knocking on your door that certain coups um it's just word of mouth ziv um and being in the you know being in the the japanese host communities uh, we tend to share information about when the police are doing their rounds and when the ward office are doing their rounds hey, um, can I, you, I, I gotta jump off for a client call i've uh, been kind of quiet but super great listen and uh talk to you talk to everybody soon okay matt take All care right. see you man see you. So, Tr Tracy, um, I'm, I'm just wondering, um, have you actually seen a lot of buildings that are okay with um, Minpaku? Because from our experience out of Tokyo, 99.9% .9 of them are strictly yeah. prohibiting that. Yes, um, there are. And usually, 
it's buildings that are friendly. It'll be the whole building. The whole building will be uh, will be Mimpaku. Um, you won't tend to get um, one or two. Um, so the way that you usually can get a Mimpaku building, a Mimpaku condo, um, and the nice thing about getting a Mimpaku condo is that the fire regulations are usually included. You don't normally have, need to get a retrofit, so it's a, a bit of a lower barrier to entry. Um, so the buildings that are usually okay are the ones that are owned by a single person. So if it's a, a condo where each one is owned by a different person, the chances of you being able to get approval for Mimpaku are zero to none, I would say. You're not going to get you're not going to get a quorum of people to agree to uh, of the the homeowners, especially if they live in, um, to approve a short term rental in the building. Uh, no matter how much lobbying you do, it won't happen. Um, so, um, so when you say um, single owner to the building, that would mean that um, the Minpaku operator then rents a unit from from the owner. Yeah. So okay. Let, let, let's say there's one owner for the entire building, and that person does that. That owner does chintai to to various people. Um, that's a better approach. That's a better person to find um, because. Um, you know, usually that person has, you know, they've probably got multiple properties and they, they're just, uh, I mean, you know what it's like, Ziv, in Japan, there is a big divide between people that just rent apartments and people that own them, so, you know, own buildings. Um, and, and usually that's a, you know, people have had buildings in their family and they've owned real estate for a long time and that's the, the amount of wealth that's held in that in that segment is, is massive um, and mostly these people who own multiple buildings, the entire building, um, they're, you know, they've got so much money that they're really not looking into the day-to-day operations and they've got, you know, they've outsourced it to a real estate agent to fill, you know, they just want to fill the places. So, um, so when you get a building that has lots of owner-occupied um, places, um, that's when you get a very, very active kumiai uh, who are you know they're they're the the trash you know they're, they're yeah like you said it's just it. not going to happen we we've it's been, not going to yeah, happen yeah. it's not going to happen um, but when you've got someone who is um, who doesn't live in the building who is who who probably has multiple buildings um, and they're really just interested in the cash flow so you know you can approach them and 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 especially if they've had two or three empty apartments you know you could make a deal by I haven't done this yet this is my this is the theory. Um, if you find somebody, if you find this mythical beast, then um, you, you you know you make them a deal. You say that that, that you'll be taking two to three or four uh, properties in the same building, and that you'll you know you've got certain standards of, of cleanliness, and that you you know you you're um, you're vetting the guests really well, and that you're a hands-on host, and and uh, you've got a much much better chance um, of getting condo. Um, but like I said, that's that's my plan. I haven't put that into action yet because I've been too busy with the single family homes. Um, let me, there's, there's two things. One, I just want to sort of remind, sorry, am I, am I very noisy? My car noise, I hope it's not too bad. Um, no, it's all right. Uh, so, so there's two things. One, if anyone else would like to ask a question about either, we're talking a lot of short-term rentals, but even about like individual home buying, feel free to come up, um, raise your hand and we'll bring you up. Now, uh, Tracy, um, I am fortunate that I have 
three properties in such building, um, like in one building where the owner has given me, he owns the entire building, and he's giving me, given me permission for the three of my properties to run as Airbnb. Um, but that is not common. Uh, as you mentioned, they generally don't want to deal with that. I only was able to do it because historically, I, before the regulation, I was running them as, as Minpaku's. And actually, kind of got their their permission when I signed the contract. And then when it became when the regulations changed, he actually would have preferred me to leave, but knows like his typical Japanese um, business person knows that oh, we're in a contract, we're in an agreement, like in the positive sense. We have an agreement, and so it's a bit hard to change. So he gave me the formal permission, and I could register the property. Um, but Ziv, uh, a bit of a hack um, in terms of how to find buildings that are Minpaku approved. Um, which are like that have a mixed uh, how can I say um, mixed uh, rate ownership. Right word, uh, mixed ownership, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They have mixed ownership. Is to actually get um, like okay. So if it's mixed ownership, they in order to get it approved for Minpaku, they actually have to um, change the bylaws to say Minpaku is okay. When they introduce the regulation, if Minpaku is not specifically permitted, it is assumed that it is not permitted. Is what what is how the uh, the government made the assessment. So if they use the standard draft uh, building management um, documentation, the way it, um, it it doesn't say that short term rentals Minpaku is permitted. So if that's the case, then you're not allowed to. You need to go and actually apply specifically to say Minpaku is permitted um, and get that change made. Now, you probably cannot do that, purchase an apartment and lobby their owners to do that. But what you can do is look for buildings which already have made that change and have already permitted it. That discussion has already happened and it's permitted. And you think, well, how am I going to find these buildings? What you do is you go to the Minpaku registration. Um, uh, website, like, well, basically each ward will say a listing of which the Minpaku registered properties are, and you look for buildings, you look for apartments, for condos, and then that means that someone has already gone to the effort of doing that change and changing the bylaws and getting the permission, and then you can look for properties in that building. Gotcha. And from your experience, um, are there plenty of those? What's the percentage you'd say? Uh, oh, no, I, I, I I can't say what the percentage is or what. Oh, oh sorry, Alan. Sorry. Um, yes. Uh, sorry, I can't say what the what the percentage is. Um, hold on a second. Uh, yeah, it's not actually a percentage I give. It's just like a, a little hack, right? Um, if you want to find out what, uh, like, just find. Just say you want to go in uh, Setagayaku. You want to find a mansion in Setagayaku that have that are that have already been registered, already been approved for Minpaku, which suggests that their bylaws have been updated. That's how you find that information. Right? So this is rather how to find specific buildings that have the bylaws already changed and submitted. That's how you would do it. Well, that sounds like a job for Tracy. I think what I'll do is uh, whenever we get a customer who's interested in that, I'll just um, refer them directly to Tracy and then she can tell me which buildings uh, we can help them buy in so that she can then manage. How does that sound, Tracy? That's fine. You, uh, my rates aren't cheap, but um, you could, I could show you the website as well. So, um, 
of course. <laughs> no, but I mean, if some if somebody does the, the, want, the sorry, go ahead, Amir. The, the, the challenge with that, um, the challenge with that though is you can find out which building is permitted, but then you need to check are there apartments for sale in that building. Yeah, no, understood. Right, so it's, a, it, it's, it's a bit of a process, but at least, but that's probably easier. You can probably, you know, go for each ward, find, you know, a dozen or two dozen or, you know, however many registered buildings, however many registered apartments there are. Find those dozen or two dozen buildings and then just search on online, you know, Chukor Mansion for this building name and see if it pops up. Um, and if it does, great, then that's your list. And if not, um, and you can do that on a ward by ward basis. Yeah, I think that might be um, the best way to go. So just thinking up a, a business plan for, for future reference. So um, we could come to you, Tracy. I mean, obviously, customers who want to um, purchase properties for this purpose probably have a few cities in mind. So we can refer them to you to tell them from your experience, if it's Tokyo at least, which wards would be more open to that. And then we can do the search, find the property for them to purchase. And then once the purchase is done, they, we can refer it back to you for management. Yes. Yep. Sure thing. Um, always. I'm. I'm always willing to talk. You know, short-term rentals. Always in Tokyo. It's. It's. Uh, it's my hobby as well as my job. <laughs> right. So again, quick reset of the room. Anyone has any questions um, to do with anything related to Japanese real estate, um, investment, homes to stay in, to live in, holiday homes, uh, short-term stay homes, abandoned properties commercial properties, what have you, just raise your hand, we'll bring you up to the stage, and um, you can ask your questions, we're more than happy to answer. And if not, I think we can slowly start to wrap up the room, Emil? Um, well, so, sorry, I was picking up my kids from daycare, um, <laughs> I'm in the car, um, so, they, yeah, well, one thing I do want to say, like my general sort of uh, information nugget for anyone new um, is about financing for personal homes. Okay, so the easy numbers, just so people are sometimes interested. You can generally borrow about seven times your gross annual income. Okay, so if you get your income is, and you're a salaried employee, right, so if you want to know about financing, you can borrow seven times your gross annual income. If your income is 10 million yen, the bank will give you about 70 million, um, and the monthly, and how you calculate the monthly repayment is about 30,000 yen for 10 million yen that you borrow. All right, so for every 10 million yen you borrow, you have to repay 30,000 yen per month. So on a 70 million yen loan, that's about, uh, what's that, 210,000 yen, 200,000 yen is uh, what the monthly loan repayment will be. Um, and that's principal and interest based on a 35-year typical Japanese loan term and typical interest rate of about 0.7%. And the banks will give you about 100% financing um, to even 105% financing. So the 105%, um, generally closing costs are about 5%. So if your property is, you know, 65, uh, like 60 million yen, the bank will give you 60 million yen plus another 5%, 3 million yen for closing costs. So your loan is actually 63 million, so I have about 105% of the total property value. Um, so that's just some easy, quick numbers about financing. 
And Emil, you've mentioned that for investment loans, um, while the terms of employment are similar, the um, the actual loan amount will be um, smaller or will not be 100%, right? Uh, correct, yeah. So what I just said, that 100% financing was for uh, per, your individual um, individual home, so for your own personal use, a due type of loan. Uh, investment loan, you'll, look, I, I don't... I don't actually have much experience issuing them. My understanding is you need 20 to 40% deposit, and the interest rate is anywhere from 2 to 4.5%. Um, yeah, that's what the, what the rate is. With the same sort of uh, scrutiny in regards to your employment and so forth, or do they calculate that more on whatever the property can generate? Um, no, they kind of calculate more just based on your employment, to be honest, as well, and your borrowing capacity. Okay, so similar criteria there. Yeah. All right. Any um, final nuggets that anyone wants to share? Any final questions that anybody wants to ask? So I do want to say um, a lot of this is quite. Uh, sorry, Katie, I'll jump to you in one second. Uh, but just to the audience, a lot of this is, you know, you think, ah, oh, this personal information, I don't want to speak on, it, on, on this forum about it. I'm just listening. But yeah, anything personal related to. Um, you know, that you want to ask us about, feel free to reach out to our direct messages on our um, in our bio, so that my Twitter or Instagram, um, and Div also on LinkedIn, uh, Tracy, however she likes to be uh, uh, found. Um, uh, check in her bio. I think she responds to Instagram quite a bit as well. Uh, yeah, so feel free to reach out to us there um, because, yeah, definitely this a lot of this discussion, especially when it comes to personal homes or your finances, uh, are, uh, um, I guess they are... Uh, private information, so very understand, uh, very understanding that you may not want to bring it up to discussion right here in the public forum. Uh, Katie, go ahead, you were going to say. Well, I was just curious, and I'm sorry if you already kind of addressed this, but say somebody wanted to purchase a property um, that's already an Airbnb or, or running as a short-term rental, is that possible? And would all these um, fees and licenses, or not fees, but would these licenses be grandfathered in? So if I want to purchase... Uh, an already functioning business, so to speak, can I just jump in with less effort or do I have to do like, go through all the rigmarole um, again? The retrofit will have already been done, so all of the, you know, the fire, the fire regulations will have already been met um, and uh, you would, they would probably already have a Min Paku Kandi, so a management company, um, and so it would, it would just be the, the, the license change and that, that's, you know, once you've done it once, copying um, copying the paperwork to get it done again is is much easier. So it would, you know, you might have to, you know, it might cost you five hundred dollars to a thousand dollars to of of a paralegal's time, um, because trust me, these paperwork is just a nightmare. Um, you don't want to you don't want to be doing it yourself. Um, but you know, you can pay a pay a scrivener to do that, um, and it w- wouldn't be a massive massive cost. Um, so yes, you could get into it quite easily. But the license does need to be reissued. So the, the licenses are, yes. as far as yes. I'm aware, they're issued to a, a specific combination of owner and property. So you can't use the existing license. But like Tracy was saying, from our experience as well, um, just people who bought hotels and stuff, um, it's definitely a relatively hassle-free, pro- well, hassle-free not in the sense that uh, you don't need to jump through the hoops, but um, there's no re-compliance uh, difficulties if the property has already been approved once. 
Right, because that's something that's becoming more and more popular um, around the world. And I know in the U.S. where people want to get in short-term rentals, but it just takes up so much of the hassle. It takes away a lot of the hassle that you have at the beginning, setting things up and figuring out all these rules, which are so important to know before people jump into, oh, I found my dream property, and then their dreams are squashed. Um, by uh, HOAs and then other uh, regulations. This really is the first thing that people should research. But yes. that, that would be an easy way to go about it if you're really dead set on uh, running a short-term rental. Yeah, and that, that does happen a lot. Um, like Tracy was saying, if the place is co-owned, there's a snowball's chance in hell that they let you do that. And even if it's not, I mean, local municipalities can be very difficult as well. So that's definitely uh, an easier and uh, less uh, more of a hassle-free way to go about it. So there you go, the awesome Tracy Northcott, or as we like to call her, uh, the Minpaku Queen. We're going to link to her blog and other free resources on this episode show notes, so be sure to check her out if you're interested in this topic. And again, from now on, our Wednesday Clubhouse sessions are also available on Facebook Live. So all you get to see there is my face, which is pretty boring, but you do get to hear the audio of the Clubhouse room, and you can also type in your questions and have them answered by the panel without having to actually participate in the conversation via Clubhouse. So feel free to join us there as well. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you are already in Japan on some sort of a more temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, and also if you're considering setting up a local company or branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiry, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners and our clients. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com, all one word, and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, wherever you're tuning in from. Or just drop us a line in the comments section or wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoshiku. Yoshiku.